2 Timothy chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through to 8 under this theme of what is expository preaching. But of course, as we think about expository preaching, it would be an unfortunate irony to do it without turning to the Bible. So we must be expository when we think about expository preaching. So 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verses 1 to 8. Let's hear God's word. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This uh, passage is uh, telling us that preaching the word is the essential condition for a healthy church. Preaching the word is the essential condition for a healthy church. And that's an important matter for us to think about for a number of different reasons. Uh, first, first of all, I suppose we all want uh, this church and any church that we might be concerned about to be healthy, uh, to not be filled with wrong ideas, to not have inappropriate behavior, to not be unloving to not be a poor reflection of what Christ wants for his body. We want health in our churches. And therefore, if it is true that preaching the word is the necessary condition for a healthy church, it's obviously important that we think through what expository preaching is and how we preach the word and, and all that. So it becomes pretty significant. Uh, in addition, though, secondly, why is it important that we think about this? Uh, what a healthy church should look like and what preaching should be like is not something that, around which there's wide agreement. There are lots of different kinds of churches, different buildings, different architecture, um, pews, 
chairs, different kinds of music, these relatively superficial things, but also different forms of church government, different approaches to membership. Um, and then with that, different philosophies of preaching. I, when I was a Baptist preacher, rejoiced in the Baptist feeling that if the sermon didn't go on for 45 minutes, it was only half a sermon. relatively superficial issues, how long a sermon should be, but there's a lot of distinction about what churches should be like, what preaching should be like, how many points should there be in a sermon, what counts as an exposition, is it really important that there is an exposition? So, so not only is, if it is true that preaching the Word is a the necessary condition for a healthy church, therefore it matters if we want a healthy church, but also it matters that we think through what preaching is because there's not a wide agreement around what preaching is or even what expositional or expository preaching is. So it's important we think about it. Uh, but then thirdly, and I suppose a little more parochially, for us as a, as a church, Cottage Church, one of the things that we advocate, and the church has historically, advocated, and that, of course, I as a pastor am passionate about too, is expository preaching. And if that's the case, uh, it's significant that every now and then we think through together what we mean by that. Why is it important? How do we define it? What should expository preaching be like? Is it really significant? And all the rest. So there are lots of different reasons why it matters that we think about this. And again, the theme of what I'm saying is that preaching the Word is the necessary condition for a healthy church. And as we look at this passage together, what I want to do is, uh, first of all, give a very brief overview of these eight verses. I won't go into them in much detail. We'll spend more time applying it to preaching the Word expositionally. But I do want to give a brief overview of the passage. Uh, and then set it in its wider context so that we can understand it. And then define from that basis what preaching is and what exposition, expositional, expository preaching is. And then apply it uh, to our context. So first of all, a very brief overview. Essentially, 2 Timothy 4, 1-8 has a vision and a priority. Uh, the vision is, um, ex is uh, indicated by the Apostle Paul by a particular word that appears at the beginning of the section and the end of the section, and that word is the word appearing. So verse 1, he says, I charge in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing. Uh, the word for appearing has a sense of seeing, vision. He's appearing. He's looking ahead. And then again at the end of the passage, uh, verse 8, he says, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me but also to have loved all who have loved, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So at the top and tail of the passage there's a vision, and the vision is his appearing. So Paul, as he comes to the end of this letter, and one of the final things he ever wrote, there's only a few more verses of this as far as we know the last letter he wrote, 
Paul has a vision, and the vision is Jesus' return, his appearing. And, of course, that gives extraordinary weight to what he's saying. Jesus and his return, Jesus' return is, in terms of Paul's theology, I believe he's saying, is imminent, can happen at any moment. And in view of that appearing, that vision of Jesus returning, he says everything else. So there's a vision, but then, of course, there's a priority. And the priority he indicates in verse 2, which is, preach the word. So everything else in the passage is built along that priority. He has different synonyms for it, the truth, um, sound doctrine or sound teaching. But the priority, the charge, is preach the word. Now, what you, to understand this, what you have to think through, um, and I've done this many times, obviously this is a significant passage for any preacher, and I've thought through this passage many times. What you have to think through is all the things that Paul could have said. So here he is, he's writing to Timothy, his prodigy. Timothy's in Ephesus. This is a little bit of the context, so I'm getting ahead of myself, but Timothy's in Ephesus. This charge comes from the Apostle Paul to Timothy. In view of his appearing, Timothy, if there's one thing I want you to get, it is this. All the other things he could have said. Make sure you have community. Now, Paul is for community, and so is the Bible. He talks about it in his letters, but it's not what he says here as the priority. Timothy, make sure you have good um, church discipline. Now, Paul is for church discipline. There are times in his letters when he talks about church discipline. But it's not what he says here. Uh, Paul talks a lot about worship. But that's not what he says here. Now, his priority is preaching. And in an age where preaching is viewed as just another sort of form of communication, it's important we let that land. In view of his appearing, there is a solo, exclusive priority. Preaching. So that's the overview of the passage. Now let me just put it a little bit into context. So Second Timothy is obviously the second of two letters that Paul wrote to Timothy. This first and second Timothy is also part of what is usually called the pastoral epistles. So there's Titus, First Timothy, and Second Timothy. And they're all Paul describing what, in particular context, for his prodigies, Timothy here, Titus, obviously, in the letter to Titus, um, the ways to go about having a healthy church or rebuilding a healthy church or making a church more healthy. But in those letters, when I teach through them, the way I summarize what Paul says in context is there are four things that Paul says throughout each of those letters. And I use the, um, the way of remembering it CGI. You know, if you watch Marvel movies, the CGI, they use a lot of computer stuff, CGI. So think of CGI's, CGI-S. 
So throughout these three, le- four le- uh, three letters, he's saying these four things. They're all about the gospel. He says, commend the gospel, C. Guard the gospel, G. Imitate the gospel, I. And suffer for the gospel, S. All three letters, are Paul's urging that they commend the gospel, preach the word. All, all of them are doing that, and they're all doing the others to some extent, but each of the other three have a focal point. First Timothy is particularly about guarding the gospel. Paul talks about false, false teaching and correcting it in Second Timothy, but much more in First Timothy. There he's saying you've got to guard the gospel. Titus, he, he talks about false teaching in Titus too, but particularly in Titus, he's concerned that, Tim, uh, that Titus show um, the churches that he was uh, responsible for that they must imitate the gospel to live in accord with the gospel. That God imitate. Second Timothy is particularly about suffering. And that's again here, he says, uh, endure suffering. It's a theme throughout Second Timothy. And so that's the broader context of healthy churches, of which preaching, commending the gospel, is the necessary condition for health. Well, let me then uh, define what we mean by preaching, what we mean by expository preaching, having set the table from the Scripture uh, in this passage, overviewing, and then in a broader context. So the way I define preaching is the following. uh, I put it in a book that I wrote with a friend of mine. It's actually his definition that he came up with, um, but we agreed on it together in a book on preaching that I wrote a few years ago. And this is how I define preaching. So preaching is God's ordained means by which He meets with us through His Word and His Spirit so that He might open our eyes to see Jesus and be captivated by Him. That's preaching. It's a definition, so each part of it is quite important. I won't go on at length about every part of it. Read the book if you want that. But, but each part is important. So it's God's ordained means. And I, you don't need to read the book. I'll explain it now. God's ordained means, First Corinthians, the foolishness of preaching. God has designed that he would save some. It's God's way. It's not something we invented. It's God's ordained means. That, that he would meet with us through his word and by his spirit, the word and spirit connection for the sword of the spirit is the word of God, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 17. It, it, in a, as I said this morning, that the preaching is not merely a transfer of information, it's, it's worship that our eyes might be open to see Jesus and be captivated by him, which is a way of expressing worship and focused upon Christ. But it's an encounter so when there's preaching at its best is not a meeting between us and the human preacher. Preaching at its best is a meeting between us all and the Lord. 
by which he meets with us. I think we've all had that experience sometimes. I certainly have listening to sermons. I think, as I listen to a sermon, I think, was, was this person watching my life this week? Where did, it, where did that all come from, right? It's because God has ordained that when I'm thinking through the sermon, when I'm praying about it, he, and I'm looking at the Scripture, the, the, the way things are said, the intonation, the phrases, the illustrations, the application, all brought to bear upon God's ordained means to meet with us that we might see Jesus and be captivated by him. So that's preaching. What about expository preaching? For not all sermons are expository. So the way I define expository preaching is uh, as follows. Very simply, expository preaching is when the main focus of the passage is the main focus of the sermon. Now I would and again, we use that definition in that book that we wrote together, and it's not unique to us, that one. It's been used by many people over the years. I think it's a good definition. Like all definitions, it's not quite perfect, and I would tweak it a little bit, as I'll explain in a moment. But it's a good one, where the main focus of the passage is the main focus of the sermon. Now, note several things about that definition. Um, first of all, We're not saying that expository preaching is verse-by-verse preaching. I've heard that many, many times. You know, people say, is that a verse-by-verse preacher? As if that's synonymous to expository preaching. That's a huge mistake. Certainly, you can preach an expositional sermon verse-by-verse, for sure. But on the other hand, you can preach verse-by-verse and completely miss the main point of the passage. Uh, for instance, the genealogy that Josh Maurer preached for us, um, was it just the other week? Try preaching that verse by verse. Um, or more, more obviously, perhaps the stories. How, do you, how would you preach one of the stories in the Old Testament, verse by verse? You know, first week, Jonah, you know, Jonah went down to Nineveh. That's the whole sermon. You've got to tell the story because it's a story. Um, similarly with poetry and other kinds of genre like that. So Alec Matea, who was, um, he's in glory now, but was a very influential preacher, influenced people like Tim Keller and many others, a godly man, one of the best commentaries Probably the best commentary ever written on the book of Isaiah was written by Alec Matir. But Alec Matir has a brilliant way of explaining this. He says that some people think that you should only preach verse by verse is a bit like thinking that the best way to have an automobile is to get into the shop and break it down into its constituent parts all on the table. Well, you no longer have a, a car, do you? You just have all the bits. That's not, that's not expository preaching. You want to drive the car. <laughs> so it's where the main focus of the passage is, is the main focus of the sermon. Now, having said that, that definition is deliberately fairly broad. And I personally think that's important. Now, not everyone agrees with me on this, but I think it's important. Many Most people agree with me on this, but not everyone does. Um, I 
don't want to be the kind of preacher that defines expository preaching so narrowly that pretty much the only people who do it right are me and my friends. On the other hand, I do think that expository preaching is the necessary condition for the healthy church. Preach the word. John Stott, a great British preacher of yesterday, John Stott was bold enough to say this, all Christian preaching should be expository. I tend to agree with him. But I don't want to define expositional preaching so narrowly that, you know, 95% of it can't be expository preaching by, by the way I've defined it. He, he would say all, all Christian preaching should be expository for the expository preacher unravels what is tangled and makes plain what seems to be confusing. That's our task. Now, I said I would tweak that definition about the main point of the passage a little bit, and some of that is my influence from uh, the European Reformers and the British Puritans, particularly a man called William Perkins, who wrote a classic book on preaching in 1592 called The Art of Prophesying. And in that book, William Perkins said that the goal of preaching is to preach one Christ by Christ to the glory of Christ. I love that. And he said that the task of a preacher is to explain the natural meaning of the passage. And I quite like that. And the reason why is sometimes it's not obvious what the main point of the passage is. For instance, uh, a story from the Old Testament. This is one of Tim Keller's illustrations, but I think it's a very good one. A story from the Old Testament where the prophet preaches a sermon, then goes back home and had been told by the Lord beforehand not to stop and eat but is given a false word by another prophet that he can now stop and eat, does stop and eat and then the prophet is killed by a lion. What's the main point of that passage? Now I have an opinion, my opinion is the main point of that passage is God is thereby showing that his word will definitely come true, the word spoken by the prophet, even though the prophet did not obey God's word, for judgment comes upon even the preacher when he doesn't obey God's word. That's my opinion of what the main point of that passage is. Am I 100% certain? No. Uh, It's sometimes hard to know what the main point of the passage is. I think it's the natural meaning. Or another illustration would be a famous part in Galatians chapter 3, verse 20, where uh, the apostle Paul was describing the mediator between God and man, and then he just says this little phrase. He says, but God is one. Charles Spurgeon preached on that, and he said in his introduction to his sermon on that, he counted there were over 350 different interpretations of that one phrase. And then Spurgeon proceeded to tell us what he thought. And it's a very good sermon of Spurgeon's. I don't actually agree with Spurgeon. I think he was wrong, but it was still a good sermon. And so sometimes, even in the definition, like the main point of the passage has to be the main point of the sermon, it's, you know, Spurgeon's thought on that phrase was, but God is one, was a sort of doctrinal aside and then preached on the unity of God. I, I, I don't actually think that's right, but, I mean, Spurgeon was Spurgeon, so he probably was right. 
But you get my sense that, that even when we say the main point of the passage is the main point of the sermon, we need to leave some uh, gracious judgment of charity. That said, preaching the Word is the necessary condition uh, for a healthy church. Well, what does that mean? I said we'd apply it for us. Let me just apply it in three simple ways. Uh, First of all, we should have a gracious conviction as a church. I'm not embarrassed to say that I agree with what John Stott says, which is every Christian sermon should be an expository sermon. Not embarrassed to say that. And that means some of my friends who are preachers, I don't think are doing it right. Every sermon should be an expository sermon. Why? Because I don't want you to hear from me. I want you to hear from God and His Word. So we should have a conviction as a church of the, of the importance of it, but it should be a gracious conviction. Not judging those who define things a little bit differently than the way we would define it. So a gracious conviction. Um, and then also a humble listening. I think that gets harder as we get older, as we become more mature as Christians, to listen humbly uh, to sermons. I I was rebuked by one of my children just the other day. I'm not allowed to talk about my children. No, she's the younger one. I can get away with it. It's okay. But she said to me when I was listening to some sermon online or something, she said, Dad, you always criticize. I said, oh, you're right. I, I sh- should be careful about that. We need a humble listening. I mean, even the sermon tonight, if I was preaching this on Sunday morning, I probably would have preached this a little bit differently. I think I've been fair to the text, appearing, the top and the bottom, it's the vision, it's the priority, and then I spent more time applying the priority of preaching the Word than I would if I was preaching on a Sunday morning. So I think I've been fair to the text. I've just spent more time applying it. But you need a a humble listening, understanding the context to receive it. And we all need that. So gracious conviction, a humble listening. And then for us as a church, I think it reminds us of our commitment to training If it's true that healthy churches across the land need preachers of the Word, then a church like College Church with all its resources, and I don't just mean financial, I mean all the people out here, I'm looking, you know, we've got a lot of preachers here. A lot of people are good at teaching. And you think about on Sunday morning all the other people, and right next to Wheaton College. We need to have, as we do, and continue and grow our commitment to training men who will be preachers of the Word for the sake of eternity, for the sake of the, healthy, the health of the churches in America and around the globe, uh, for the sake of the health of the country. I was talking about this with one of our team this morning, but Alexis de Tocqueville, who was the French aristocrat who came and observed the American democracy in its infant, infancy, one of his remarks was, the thing that kept American democracy healthy was that it had pulpits aflame with righteousness. 
So whether you have a passion for the health of the church or a passion for the health of the country, we need a gracious conviction, a humble listening, and a commitment to training up preachers of the Word. Well, we're going to sing again now. Let me just pray for us, and the team will come up and lead us in worship. Lord, thank you for your Word. Help us to understand it and explain it to one another preach it in whatever context you give us to do so, commend the gospel, help us to have a gracious conviction, a humble listening, and help us to train up further generations of preachers, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.